I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we kick off 2020 by reviewing the latest version of The Grudge, and also covering the previous two iterations, Juon The Grudge, and the 2004 uh, English-language remake done by the same director. Let's get started. I think something followed me home. Mommy, what's going on? What's wrong? We need to leave right now. It's like this weird rule of Hollywood, maybe not a rule, but like this unwritten code or uh, this superstition that we can't kick off a new year without a really terrible horror movie. And like, if you, I, I remember this specifically because I think in 2016, when I started this podcast, the first movie I reviewed for that year was um, the one with, um, ah, shoot, what's her name from... Uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, there was this movie with uh, Game of Fr- Game of Thrones actress who went into the, uh, the Japanese Aokigahara forest, uh, and it was like this because this was also about the same time that um, Lars, maybe not Lars Van Trier, uh, but uh, this other this um, artsy director was uh, making his own movie, Sea of Trees. Um, Gus Van Sant. Uh, that's who it was. Uh, which is the one with? Uh, Forrest. Natalie Dormer. Okay. Uh, Natalie Dormer. Who was she in Game of Thrones? Because I think my nephew was watching Game of Thrones at the time, and that's how he knew her. Um, okay, Marguerite Terrell. Okay, no idea. Never watched, uh, never got into Game of Thrones. But, um, yeah, Natalie Dormer went into the Aokigahara Forest and, uh, was haunted by ghosts. And yeah, that came out in the beginning of 2000. That was the first movie to be released in 2016. And it's like this weird thing where uh, every movie... Here. I'm going to go to Wikipedia real quick since this is this is going to be a shorter episode. It's just reviewing one movie and its pre- uh, two predecessors. I want to take a look at the release schedule for every year going back to 2010. See what the first movie to come out was. Daybreakers uh, in 2010, although that also came out with Leap Year and Youth in Revolt. Move on to 2011, we've got uh, Season of the Witch. Yep, uh, of course. No, it's more of like a fantasy horror, but still. Um, The Devil Inside in 2012. Uh, (laughs) Stay tuned to an upcoming episode to hear more about that. Uh, 2013 first movie to come out was Texas Chainsaw 3D. Uh, once again, more on that in a bit. Uh, in another, in a, in a future episode. Um, 2014 Paranormal Activity, the marked ones. <laughs> like, they're noticing a pattern here. Uh, 2015 Wreck 4 Apocalypse and The Woman in Black 2 Angel of Death. Two direct to video, two uh, very limited release 
sequels to uh, horror movies. Um, Underworld Blood Wars, uh, 2017. Uh, 2018 was, uh, what was, what was 2018? Insidious The Last Key, yep. And then last year, oh god, I I can't even remember far back to the January of last year. Um, let's take a look though. Uh, did I did I miss it? Oh come on, where the where's the twenty nineteen in film? Where's the release schedule? The Wikipedia is missing the release schedule. Well, let's get back to. Uh, business here. I'm, I'm, I'm missing the point. The point is that it just seems to be a recurring theme in Hollywood. It, it's an ongoing occurrence that the first release of a new year is always, for at least the last decade, a really bad horror movie. And I don't know if it's just this is when they decide to dump it out and it's just that's how it is or what. But yeah, this has always been a thing at least for the last 10 years or so, since I've been paying attention. But uh, this year, we've got a new version of The Grudge. Um, and for those who um, aren't aware, The Grudge is one of the um, those really popular J-horror uh, franchises from the early 2000s. This is also the same era of Ringu and Darkwater, and there's a, there was a whole bunch of English-language remakes, but The, but, uh, the Grudge and uh, Ringu have managed to carry on both in Japan and over here because of their popularity. And so, despite having only two sequels uh, last decade, it they decided to try and bring this back. Um, but before we get into the new one, let's talk about the original, um, which is actually the third in its series. Um, uh, Takashi Shimizu uh, was the director uh, and kind of the creator of this franchise. And the original entry, well, there were two, there were two uh, direct-to-video horror movies, uh, what they call V-Cinema in Japan. And uh, they are called Juon the Curse and Juon the Curse 2. And the idea is that Juon is this basically like a murder happens and it's so gruesome that the souls of the people who were murdered stay vengeful spirits haunting those who inha who come near the, ha the house where they were murdered. And so The Curse and The Curse 2 were like these anthology horror movies about people interacting with the house after the murder and then being haunted by The Curse. And uh, The Grudge is the first entry that tries to go towards a narrative story. And it's a very disjointed movie because it plays like... One of the anthology movies. Um, Shimizu has not yet really nailed down narrative storytelling just yet because it still feels very much like he's playing it as an anthology movie, even though it's a very direct story. It's just told very non-linearly, non and it's very hard, very hard to uh, keep track of things. You have to kind of do it through the um, through the Wikipedia, if you want to keep track of what what all's going on, because it feels it feels so disconnected from it all. But the idea, the basic premise is, um, and it open the movie opens with uh, the murder of this woman and her son and their cat by her very uh, mentally unstable husband, who reveals that it was later revealed, you know, caught wind that she was cheating on him and murdered 
uh, he, he he even to the point where he believed that their son wasn't his, and so he, in a fit of rage, killed the two of them, their cat, and uh, then himself. And so anybody who comes near this house since then, uh, an old uh, an old woman has been uh, uh, there. And we start the movie with uh, the uh, what do you call them? Um, like caretakers, uh, come you know, co- uh, social workers coming to check on this older woman who seems to have dementia, uh, staying in this house. And as there's no, and they're seeing this mess all over the place. And eventually, uh, Yoko the caretaker in quest who takes over actually sees uh nayako the uh act the victim uh the woman victim uh from of the murder uh, as like this 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 black mass uh stealing uh the old woman's soul and as things go along the poli- the detectives are trying to investigate it and everybody who gets involved in this house becomes haunted by nayako and toshio Toshio being the son. And Toshio's iconic thing is that he's a pale white boy who, when he opens his mouth, uh, howling cats uh, noises will come out. Like, he's he's sort of enveloped the spirit of the cat as well. It's, it's not very well explained in the movie. Uh, I don't know how all that works. But it's just kind of their aesthetic. And I don't know about the... Because this... Not only does Juan the series continue in Japan to this day, they crossed over with Ringu, where Nayako fought. Um, oh God, who was it? Uh, 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 Juan. It was Juan versus Ringu. Well, here, let me go to the Juan franchise where they cross over with Ringu. Uh, Sadako. Sadako from the ring, from Ringu and Kayako uh, have like a full on uh, Freddy versus Jason uh, like clash at one point. That was 2016 that that came out. So yeah, the grudge has been ongoing in Japan. Mostly, um, okay, so it has been theatrical. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, at one point, Juan and Ringu actually. Uh, <laughs> crossed over like freddy did with jason <laughs> uh fun um but yeah this the, uh juan the i can't speak for that sequel or the two sequel follow-ups uh that were done over here but um i as far as like this one does it's probably the best version to watch uh but it is still very distorted i honestly prefer ringu over uh this one that's just my preference a couple, about a year goes by, um, Ringu gets adapted by Gore Verbinski in, uh, for English language audiences and is met with massive success. Even I enjoy uh, The Ring. Um, I don't. I think I kind of enjoyed The Ring remake more than the original just because uh, that early era J-horror is very cheap looking, it's very low budget, and it's, uh, it's got great ideas, but you want it to have the budget to do more with it. And... These remakes, as long as they're continuing the good parts of it, uh, allow for those good ideas to be met with uh, budgets that can really showcase them. And the nice part is uh, the Grudge remake actually allowed for the best case scenario because uh, Sam Raimi had Shimizu uh, basically help adapt and then direct the remake, which starred uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. 
And he also went on to direct the Grudge 2 as well for English audiences. So, I mean, this is best case scenario where the creator of the original property is allowed to come in and do it again, but for English. But for English. The problem here is that even though the um, the budget allows for the really cool ideas, like where in Juon, the... Uh, Kayako stealing the old woman's soul is done by having the actress painted completely black and shot in a black room. Here, it's allowed to be like this shapeless, formless black cloud hovering over the old woman. And it really is something, you know, it's really cool. And it's not to mention the fact that it's, it's while it's told nonlinear, again... This time, it's much less disjointed. And I'm wondering if Raimi kind of helped Shimizu to focus on how to tell it as a cohesive narrative while being out of order. Um, I don't know if Shimizu's gotten any better uh, with it since then, though. But yeah, you've also got the same actors playing Toshio and Kayako in this version, which is part, like, once again, this is the best case scenario. You have the original creator, the original two who made the, who, who, um, made the first one famous uh, in terms of actors come in, and then you've got the Hollywood budget with with at least, you know, you've got Bill Pullman and Sarah Michelle Gellar's uh, fine. The only problem with the remake is that besides Gellar and Pullman, who is completely wasted in his very non... is what is essentially a cameo. Uh, every other white actor in this movie is kind of just bland. Like, they're... They're basically the equivalent of having a house furnished by Ikea. It's it's functional, but it's not very good. It's not you don't feel like it's a home. It's just com- it's just completely functional. It doesn't look great. It doesn't feel like home. It's just kind of yep. This is a th- yep, this sure works. This is this is this is okay. And I think that's the problem is that um that even though everything else around the ca- the cast is better, the cast don't engage you the way that the original Juan cast did, and they're about on par with each other. But but ultimately, I give more credit to the original than the remake, just because the remake is allowed to do more interesting things, but the original it has a much more engaging cast, and yeah, it's. If this if this had a better cast, I think the remake would be would be the same as with the ring, where it took it took that in, original idea and improved upon it in a way that made it mo- even better. But that's just me. Uh, as as we <laughs> going sixteen years into the future from the from the last remake, uh, in twenty eleven, the uh, Sam Raimi who maintained the uh, rights to the Grudge announced a Grudge 4 after the Grudge 3 went direct-to-video in 2011. And there were all kinds of, you know, talk of what they were going to do with the series now. Were Toshio and Kayako going to stay? Were they going to do something else? What's going on? And it took nine years... It took about eight years to finish, and then now it's come out nine years since... About nine years since uh, its announcement. And what we got is... Arguably the worst theatrical release from the franchise. Uh, I don't know if Grudge 2 came out in theaters. I think it did, but I never saw... I don't know how bad that is. I I can't imagine it's worse than this, though. Um, 
the idea here is is now that uh, without giving too much away, the the grudge comes to America. That's about the the gist of it. Is that they retcon the events of the 2004 movie to try and bring the idea of the curse to America without involving Kaiko or Toshio. It is a complete, it's basically like, this might as well be a soft reboot where it, it, there's no, it doesn't make any sense other than the fact that they decided to just bring the concept to America, which didn't need them to connect it to the 04 version at all. Like, there's no reason for there to be any connection to the last version if that was their intention. Connecting it to the last version implies that, oh, Kayako or Toshio are somehow involved because they're the ones involved in the in the curse and the actual Juan. And here, it's this entirely new setup. And it's like, how, what, why would, why would there be any connect, implying the connection means that you think Kayako or Toshio are somehow involved and they're not. Unless there was like some after credits thing that I skipped because I wanted to get out of there because it wasted my time. It didn't waste my money, thankfully, because I got Christmas presents that allowed me to see this for free. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's just it impl it is so so wasteful of its premise, and it does have some highlights. John Cho is in this wasted. Uh, Jackie Weaver and Lin Shea are in a segment, and they do okay. But it's also just like this weird... It's it's so boring. It is absolutely boring, and then the scares are all telegraphed. It doesn't feel like The Grudge. Part of what made Juan and The Grudge work so well is because you're in that Tokyo house, you're in that setting, and then you start to see the things pop up. But moving it to America and changing so much of it removes the idea. It doesn't feel like you're watching the same movie anymore. It feels like you're watching a copycat, and yet it's within the same franchise, um, supposedly. It just doesn't feel like the same franchise, though, because even though they've copied so much of that original thing and moved it to the States, none of it feels the same. It would be one thing if it turned out that, like I mentioned, Kayako or Toshio were able to transfer that anger and energy in and come and be seen both in Japan and in America. Because that would be that would be interesting and or something. But by retconning it so that it's something else entirely that has no connection to that last movie, and yet is copying everything that ha all the all the basic stuff of that last movie without any of the real heart or soul. It yeah, it just feels like a, a carbon copy, like someone um, traced over somebody else's artwork and was allowed to put the same name on it. It just. Uh, honestly does not work at all and yeah even though Raimi is still uh his production house is still producing and they're they're interesting effects and some decent like blood work like there's bits where there's actual like blood and you know viscera and it's gory at points it doesn't feel I never felt squeamish about it it's more like okay it because it doesn't warrant it doesn't build up to it you have Lin Shay, John Cho Jackie Weaver who I unfortunately just got to know through Palms. Uh, I, I'm assuming she's even better way back in her pack catalog, but 
You have these actors who are capable of more, and yet you're so focused on telling the story from this one uh, person's point of view that is so boring. Like, the cop character that they make the center is played by Andrea Riseborough, and I have no idea who she is. Apparently she was in Birdman, Nocturnal Animals. She does not... She was in Death of Stalin... I don't recognize her at all. I have no idea who she is, and she doesn't really um, catch my attention. Like, I don't know... Like, she doesn't make me care about her character. Uh, you've got Damien Bashir, who has sadly... Do doesn't is kind of just going through the motions. Uh, the only people who really try at all are John Cho uh, and Betty Gilpin as these realtors involved with selling the cursed house... And Lynn Shay and Jackie Weaver, uh, with Frankie Faison as Lynn Shay's husband, doing this whole thing. That they're the people who ended up uh, staying in the house uh, and leading up to the event of the movie. And then there's this bit where William Sadler is the previous detective who investigated uh, the murders and was driven crazy. Um, he's best known for being the Grim Reaper in Bill and, in the Bill and Ted franchise in the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and. Uh, Huh, he was President Matthew Ellis in the MCU. Interesting. Um, and yeah, so he's the guy, uh, he, he's, he, he's a, he, once again, he's a solid actor, but he's basic, his whole bit is only there to want do, to do more stereotypical digs against mental health because he was put in the ment uh, psychiatric ward and it's all the same psychiatric ward uh, stereotypes you've always seen. It's all the same stuff, and then he's just given makeup to look crazy, like he's Two-Face or something. Like he's a really uh, low-budget Two-Face. It really is just a really sad, pale imitation of, of a really good, of a really decent franchise. I have no idea if the, any of the other sequels are better or worse, but I have no intention of ever going back to this. And this, since this episode's cutting short, uh... I'm actually going to do the other two end of the year and end of the decade episodes as their own things. So uh, if you're listening to this, those should be out the same day. Uh, so stay tuned for those. So check out those as well. Uh, and But as since this was the only new release, uh, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. You can also check out all of our other fine programming, the Don Donna's... Stuff over at the Snarkast, like uh, Once More with Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, all that good stuff. Um, and if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little network, send all your inquiries to gumbykitnetworks at gmail.com and we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, if you're listening to us on the go, you can find us on all your various I, uh, podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and uh, wherever you're listening, be sure to leave a five-star rating review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also share us on your various social media. The social media home is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, Twitter at cornjunkiepod, uh, Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. I'm on Letterboxd at uh, cornjunkiepod, and I'm on, I'm trying to catch up on uh, Stardust as well. I'm popcornjunkie on there. 
And then if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, any kind of feedback you want to give, you want to share your thoughts on The Grudge, maybe you've seen the sequels and you want to share your thoughts, uh, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read it out on the episode, I'll be sure to do so. Just let me know in either the subject line or the message. Uh, that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and maybe this year will be better than the last. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Music